morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, what's that? Subplot. Always subplots. Pay no attention to the woman behind the keyboard. Anyway, we are in the third Sunday of Easter, which in our tradition is not just a day, but an entire season, actually a season that outlasts the one that came before it, which is called Lent. And all through Lent, we were looking at our scriptures through this lens of hearing God. We were reading them, wondering, what does this passage tell us about how we hear God, how we listen for his voice, and what that voice sounds like? And we're continuing that practice throughout the season of Easter as much as we can without shoehorning a text into this idea. But today's gospel reading isn't really about hearing God so much as seeing God, about recognizing God who is in our midst. And in this passage, Jesus comes to the disciples as a stranger on the road, and they journey together for a long time before they recognize who he is in the familiar act of breaking bread. And so often, Jesus is a stranger to us as well. So often, we don't recognize the living God who is present and working in our midst. So often, Scripture is dull and lifeless to our eyes. So I want to pray for us as we get into this passage. Lord, open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Inflame our hearts as you open your word to us. Give us a fresh recognition of you. Amen. Well, if you have been following this week's national news, then you know this has been a really difficult week to be a stranger. Strangers who have appeared on front steps, in driveways, in a car, in a parking lot, chasing a ball into a neighbor's yard, have been seen as these dangerous threats and met with violence. And I don't know the motivations of the people who responded to these strangers with these acts of pretty shocking violence and retaliation, but I do know that that atmosphere of suspicion, of fear of neighbors, this impulse to retaliate with violence, This all belongs to the powers of death that Jesus came to overturn. And it stands in really stark contrast to today's gospel passage, because there the stranger becomes this place of encounter with the risen Lord, a place of fresh revelation, fresh understanding, even an opportunity to extend hospitality. And in today's passage, this mysterious stranger comes to two disciples, Cleopas and someone who is unnamed, possibly his wife, on the same day that we now call Easter, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So earlier, the same morning as this text, Jesus, or the other followers, had gone to the tomb. The women saw that Jesus' body was not there, and angels told them that he had risen from the dead. They went and told all these disciples, and apparently not all of them knew what to make of it. And so now we see these two walking on a road away from Jerusalem toward this little village called Emmaus. And we don't know why they are going there. Maybe it seems like Emmaus would be a good place to lay low for a couple of days because the leader of their movement was just publicly executed. 
Or maybe they're just reeling in this fog of grief and confusion and trauma, and they're just not really knowing what they're doing. Or maybe they're from Emmaus. We don't know what sends them on the road there. But we do know that the fact that they are moving away from Jerusalem tells us something. It tells us that the little community that Jesus had fostered, this community of disciples is already falling apart. The band is breaking up. They're leaving because their hopes are crumbling. The disciples had all together had their faces turned toward Jerusalem for a long time. All through Luke's gospel, Jesus had told them repeatedly, we are on our way to Jerusalem. We are on our way to Jerusalem, always for a very specific reason. I'll just read you one example from Luke chapter 18. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And this gets repeated again and again and again. Jesus says, we are going to the city where I will suffer and die. And again and again, they don't understand him. And they still don't understand now. Instead, we see them getting out of there. They are going the other direction. They are leaving the place that Jesus had taken them. And that's where Jesus meets them on the road as this stranger. And he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they immediately start telling him all the headlines. Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet mighty in word and deed, he was crucified. And then something in this conversation shifts. It's like you almost hear a pause because they stop just reporting the news and telling what's happened. They get a little bit more personal. They say, but we had hoped. He was crucified, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped it wouldn't end this way. It's just this really honest and vulnerable moment where they admit this isn't what they wanted, it's not what they expected, and they're not sure where their hope is now. But the thing is, they're wrong. Their hopes actually have been fulfilled. Jesus actually is the one to redeem Israel, and not just Israel, but the whole world. And he is standing in their midst right now, more alive than they are. And the text makes very clear that somehow their inability to recognize and see Jesus is tied up in their unwillingness to accept that the Messiah must suffer that redemption is not going to look the way they thought, the way they wanted. It's not going to look like some military conquest. It's not going to be this awesome display of might. It's not going to restore Israel to political glory or overthrow the Roman Empire. And Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. himself. It was necessary that Christ, the Messiah, should suffer. That is what Jesus has been trying to tell them all through Luke's gospel. And that is what the prophets have been crying out all through scripture. And this is actually where today's story intersects again all of the week's headlines about violence against strangers. Not because the disciples suddenly take a strange turn and are violent against Jesus, they're not. But their particular form of foolishness, of slowness of heart, it's rooted in the same wrong ideas about where power and glory is found. Ideas that will destroy them and us. We live in the same world that they did, a world that is in the grip of sin and death, a world that has been responding to threats and shame and fear with violent retaliation since the first family was cast out of the garden. And the way of this world is to hate your enemies, to suspect and fear the stranger, to hoard your resources and keep yourself secure, and to respond to mistreatment with more and bigger mistreatment, with stronger weapons and taller fences and better, more scathing online comments. In the language of the prophets, that's called putting trust in horses and chariots instead of in God. Or in the language of the prophets, more simply, it's called idolatry. But God has always been sending his prophets to wake people up and to say that way leads to death. The prophets always called people to shake off their foolishness and their sluggishness of heart, to open up their clogged ears and hear God calling them to another way, to another kingdom, a kingdom that is ordered around life instead of death, around freedom and plenty instead of bondage and scarcity, ordered around forgiveness and love and not retribution. And the prophets promised that a Messiah would come and establish that kingdom. And Jesus is part of this prophetic tradition. He came announcing that the life-giving kingdom of God had come and it was pushing back all the death-dealing kingdoms of the world. And just like the prophets before him, Jesus was rejected and suffered and killed. So they shouldn't be surprised when their prophet suffers too, especially because Jesus prophesied his own suffering and death repeatedly. So Jesus helps them to see again. He opens the scripture and he tells them the story all over again, starting with Moses and all the way through. And later they'll say that their hearts burned within them at this moment, but they don't recognize him yet. That comes a little bit further down the road. It's getting late, and so they invite this stranger to come in and stay with them. And reading from verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So here around the table, they watch this stranger's hands reach for the bread and tear it, and suddenly they know the fog of their grief, their slowness of heart, their foolishness, 
It clears away, and they know in this familiar thing, in these familiar hands, this familiar taking and blessing and breaking and giving, they know. Just four nights ago, they were around a table just like this, and those same hands took bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. And now the picture is complete. Jesus' death wasn't just a prophet's death. Jesus' death was his own body broken and given. It was God giving himself in love for the world to those who would reject him and abandon him for his enemies. Back on the road, the stranger had asked them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And finally, they see that the answer to that question is yes. Christ entered his glory by suffering these things, not in spite of them. He chose not to return violence for violence. He chose not to grasp at what was rightfully his. He chose not to overtake the empire in a display of superior force. Instead, he laid down his life. He surrendered his body to be broken and given for them. And then he rose from the dead. All the powers of death couldn't stand against the self-giving, sacrificial love of God. They see it now. They get it. Their hope and their Messiah is alive and well and with them. And even though it's nighttime, they get up right then and they return to Jerusalem. They go back to their community. They go back to the place where everything seemed like it fell apart. And we get this amazing snapshot of the community after they'd returned from that Acts reading that Nicole read. We hear that they're still in Jerusalem and their community has deepened and strengthened. They're devoting themselves to teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. We might imagine they print extra copies of bulletins for one another. They share all things in common. They're living the new reality of the kingdom that the Messiah has brought. So what do we learn about seeing God from this story? Well, a lot. Many sermons worth. I'll write a bit more in my letter this week, but for today I just want to focus on a couple of things. First, we learn that sometimes God comes to us as a stranger. He comes as a person or a circumstance that's unfamiliar, that's out beyond the limits of what is known to us, what we understand. And we learn that that can be a place to meet the risen Christ in a surprising way, that we can actually extend hospitality to whatever God is doing there. We can invite him to be in our midst. We can say, welcome, open my eyes. Where are you? Help me to recognize you here. And the second thing that we see is that we cannot see the risen Jesus unless we accept the cross. The way that God has chosen to show his power and his glory, the way that he chose to redeem the world is through humiliation and suffering and death, through the way of the cross. And if we can't accept that, if we want some other God 
some other way, something that looks more dominant and impressive or plays by the rules of the world, if we want something that helps us bypass pain and loss, we will not see him. We cannot see him. Our God died for us. He gave himself over to suffering and death for us. He let his body be broken and given to us. And it's given to us again at the table today. So come and eat that your eyes may be opened. Amen.